Welcome to the Waves of Change podcast, conversations on human-centered change. We interviewed leaders from all over the globe to hear stories about how they have navigated change and transitions from a personal, professional and organizational perspective. Here at the Waves of Change, we believe in the power of stories, building bridges, breaking walls, one story at a time. Today's guest, Nicola Heppenstall, is a highly experienced leader holding executive director and non-executive director positions spanning education, corporate, government authorities and member organisations. She is currently a non-executive director of South Gippsland Water and the not-for-profit The Front Project. She was the first woman on the board and chair of the Association of Market and Social Research Organisations. Her contribution has been recognised by her peers through being awarded the Australian Marketing Institute Certified Practicing Marketer of the Year in 2018. Nicola started her career as an academic researcher and since then has had a professional consulting career spanning over 25 years, including as CEO of one of Australia's leading market and social research consultancies, Hall & Partners. Nicola worked on a broad range of social policy and behavioural change initiatives to enhance social outcomes. The defining thread through Nicola's career has been her significant body of work designed to shape positive outcomes for all Australians. This is often focused on those who are vulnerable or marginalised, including people who are socially isolated or experiencing financial hardship, mental illness, trauma or violence. I'm really looking forward to diving deep into Nicola's story. Hi, Nicola, and welcome to the Ways of Change podcast. Hi, Stephen. Hope you're having a great day up there in Brisbane today. Thank you. And you are calling in from um, the Dandenongs in, in Gippsland? Well, we're just on the outskirts of Melbourne, so we're still in um, the lockdown area. Okay. All right. Great. And um, so you know about the Waves of Change podcast, but I'm really interested to know um, what does Waves of Change uh, mean for you? Look, um, when I, I, I think at the moment we've got so many areas where we're really not delivering great outcomes for people. We've got the sort of people who are terribly disconnected, lonely, unemployed. We've got, you know, issues in terms of um, how we're supporting people with disability and our aged care uh, facilities. We've got high rates of suicide, domestic violence, addiction, mental health. You know, it just seems like wherever you look, we're just not getting it right. And in all amongst that, I was buoyed by a, a statistic, and I love a good statistic, that I heard the other day that said it only takes 3.5% of a population to affect peaceful change. So I guess for me, that's what this wave of change is all about. It's, it's like ripples on the pond and, you know, how a small group of people can actually make a big impact um, and an impact outside themselves and those in their immediate area. Wow, that, that, that's, that's amazing. And speaking of ripple and impact, um, can you tell me a little bit about, say, your, your earlier part of your life and the early part of your career and any particular situations or people that really influenced your leadership style and how you lead today? 
Look, I guess there's probably two areas. Um, you know, my mum and dad were always really big on making a difference. And as a little kid, I remembered them protesting against things like the Springbok tour, the Vietnam War, or marching in, um, you know, for, to champion women's rights. And then I've got my dad as well, who's gay, and as he was a 78er, so he was part of that first protest march in Sydney, um, and that you know became the the Mardi Gras. But I guess they just had this amazing capacity to believe that as individuals they could make change. And so their example has really given me um, a passion for sort of, I guess, ordinary people standing up for things and trying to make that change. The other thing was, and, you know, I've got a kind of stellar career, I guess you'd say, and, you know, like everybody, I've got something up on my LinkedIn that talks about all the, the various roles I've had. But actually what many people don't know is that my first job as a 17-year-old was with the Sydney Mission, um, feeding homeless men in Sydney's Darlinghurst. And, you know, it was one of those amazing moments where you connect with people that are outside your own little bubble. And I discovered so much about these people and the sort of complicated stories they had in their life that I guess it's always given me this passion for, for giving up, for treating people with dignity because you just don't know what's happened in their lives and also that everybody's got a story to tell. And as a researcher, I guess that was something that across my career I've been paid to do to sort of make sure that people that would otherwise be excluded from decisions about public policy or just, you know, people wouldn't understand why they were in the circumstances they were in, um, that's something I've done in my career. So I think those two things have been really kind of core to shaping so much of my adult life. Yeah, and there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, and I think that um, what you're talking about was that your parents' capacity to believe in themselves and to believe in others. Was there ever a moment where you um, had doubt in yourself and you didn't believe in yourself, and and how did you get out of that um, uh, predicament? Look, I think like a lot of people, when you end up in um, leadership roles. There's a sort of element of imposter syndrome. And, you know, by that I mean you just kind of don't believe that you're really up to the job. And then I think you can look at so many organisations that are run by people that still have a strong self-belief but are really stuffing up in, you know, the most amazing ways that I guess I kind of ended up going, well, if not me, who? And it might as well be me. So I, I think the other thing is that often as the leader, and leadership is hard, you know, you've got people demanding certain levels of profit and, and, you know, they want certain outcomes from you. But at the end of the day, I think there's really kind of two leaders. One leader thinks it's all about them and that actually without them, they're, you know, the whole world collapses. Or other leaders that actually know that they're, they're there to facilitate the best people they can find around them to actually deliver the outcomes. And if you're that kind of leader, and I, I think I was that kind of leader, you actually think about the others. You think, what do they need? Um, you know, you've got to listen to their voices. You've got to be trusted. You've got to behave in, with integrity and not abuse that authority you have as a leader. And you're more like a coach than a boss. And I think that's something that at those times where you sort of feel a little bit like, you know, gosh, I don't know that I'm up for this. If you stop thinking about yourself and think about them, it changes your whole mindset. It makes you get out of bed every day because actually they rely on you. 
there's a whole lot of people that need to have you as their leader to manage the processes to somehow, you know, keep the board, keep the bosses, the big bosses away and actually just let them get on and do the best job they can. And I think that thinking about them really changes your perception about your job and your role, but also gives you the capacity, the momentum to keep going in those tough times because it's actually about them. It's not about you. Well, I'm, I'm curious to know where did this come from, this seeing it from the other's perspective? Did that come from your mum and your dad or did that come from your time at the City Mission? Um, I guess... We've, I guess I was always taught to be respectful of other people and I think that's really easy when the other people look like you and by that I mean they're in your own socioeconomic status, they probably live in your own area, they might be connected um, to the sort of uh, work that you do but actually they, they look very much like you and mm. I think you know, we're increasingly living in our own little bubbles when you're talking about the internet and how it sort of feeds us into these groups of people that have got shared opinions and, um, and you know, the, the, the information that you're presented is based on things that you've looked at before. So we're increasingly just in our own little bubbles. But I think the Sydney City Mission role taught me that actually you can relate to people that are outside your bubble. Um, you know, you don't, uh, you know, homeless people are often seen as very separate from us as, uh, you know, the people that are successful, have jobs, have homes, have life, functioning lives. And I think, you know, they're ve it's very easy to walk past these people that are often, you know, dirty, they're, they're sort of marginalised, they're the people that you don't really want to speak to, um, they, you know, beg on the streets and people walk past but if you've ever been in a situation where you had to feed them breakfast and say, hey, do you want some more milk with that? And you actually start to understand that they're just people. They're not somebody that you can walk past and ignore. And I think that's, you know, for me as a young teenager, that was a really pivotal moment because, you know, I hadn't been exposed to that sort of um, a group of people. Um, in my childhood and so suddenly recognising their humanity, recognising that actually they were likeable, some of them were absolutely lovable, um, really changes how you think about other people that aren't like you. And I think that's one of the big things that we struggle with as a society. How do we bring um, connectedness across groups of people that are very different? Some people look very different to us whether that's based on colour or the way they actually dress. and But actually there's a, things that bring us together that are common and that's what that taught me. So I think that's sort of been really pivotal. Um, when I, but I can only, you can only see those sort of threads when you, you're able to look back. Um, mm -hmm. At the time you don't realise their impact. It's only now that I'm at, you know, in, I'm 60, that I can look back and actually say, oh, I see how much that mattered. I see how much that changed how I thought about so many things. Mm. And, look, you, you talked about um, the importance of listening to people's stories, particularly in, um, in the mission there, and they had complicated stories. And uh, why do you think stories are so important? Because you talked about connectedness is stories a way and and what role to listening and uncovering stories because you've you've lived a career of uncovering people's stories yeah and look I think 
we get bogged down a bit with numbers. You know, I love a good number, as I mentioned earlier, but the numbers hide the real people. So, we, um, you know, we were talking last time, Stephen, about segments. You know, segments of people all sound very disconnected. We've got a group up here that are the elderly, a group down here that are the young people. Well, what do you know? The young people have elderly parents or grandparents or great-grandparents even. And so people are much more connected and complicated than numbers sometimes suggest. And if you've got not just the numbers, but you can bring clarity around who are we actually talking about here? What do these people look like? How do they talk about themselves? How do they feel about, you know, a particular issue that you might be wanting to understand? It really brings to life who these people are in a way that a number won't. And I think that's why these stories are so important. The other thing is that people can't really relate to the numbers. They can say, yeah, they're big, there's lots of them, or they're small. Often we're talking about the small. We're talking about the marginalised. We're talking about the people that aren't like you. And I think that's where the stories are so powerful because not only do they let people actually understand somebody else that's not like them, but actually they can talk to other people about it. It gives them more information to be able to say, hey, you know, when we're talking about these kinds of people, this is really, you know, an example of one. Here's what Bob was like. This what happened to Bob. And I think those things sort of bring that human element in, in a way that the numbers don't. And that's the bit that I think really creates change in people's perceptions um, and is really quite powerful in terms of, you know, really understanding somebody else. So what you're saying is that if you really want to change people's perceptions, um, it's around listening to stories. Yeah, absolutely. I've heard a, um, that in, you know, when we're sort of talking about homeless people, and I think it's a really interesting example because there was a city in America, and I can't think off the top of my head which one, um, but what they did was instead of having numbers, they gave them names and they found mm-hmm. for all the people when they had a name because instead of looking for uh, down a list and seeing numbers, they actually saw that there was a woman and her name was, you know, Mary. And Mary needed a home for herself and her two children. And so when they had a story about Mary and what who she was and what she needed, it was they got the outcomes they wanted. They actually found homes for all the people because they made them humans, not simply numbers. Wow, that's a powerful story. And and I remember you and I having a conversation not so, so long ago and you were talking about, I think, some, um, uh, some group or a particular person who was in a marginalised group and when you went to speak, to her she didn't see herself as marginalized can you tell us about that story yeah look we were talking about social um exclusion and it was really around you know those people that in fact live in housing commission apartments in um parts of melbourne and when we were there talking to her it was clear that she saw herself as having a rich life she had lots of friends lots of connection in the community and she didn't see herself as marginalized at all Now, of course, we weren't going in saying, hey, do you feel marginalised? But it was quite clear that these people have connections and lives that may be different to ours, but actually they still see them as valuable and 
um, you know, in this person's case, you know, she was really proud of this sort of community that she was part of. But, you know, from a government policy perspective, this was a marginalised community. So I think that's just one of those disconnects. And I think the other thing that's interesting there is the language. The way we talk about things, the way we label people, the way we talk about rather than people that are homeless, it's actually people that are experiencing homelessness. Or rather than people that have got a mental illness, they're people that are experiencing a mental illness. So that we're actually talking about it as circumstance. It's not a label. It doesn't define them. It's just a moment that they find themselves in. And I think those sorts of things around language and the words we use totally matter and the things around the stories and how we bring them to life are two really key key things that have kind of defined my career. Wow. And, and I think also those labels, behind those labels is a story. Absolutely. And, look, that's one of the things with the... Um, the marriage equality debate, you know, if you think about the campaign that they ran for in the positive um, supporting marriage equality, actually was people talking about, well, these are my sons, these are my daughters, this is my cousin, this is my mother, this is my father. You know, they were no longer um, people that had a label around their sexuality. These were people that were part of communities, they were loved uh, they contributed to the communities they were in. And so I think it's once again that human element, making them real people, recognising that they're actually, um, you know, they're people that you probably know. Whereas once you start labelling people, they're people that are not us. We're not that. They're not part mm. of us. Mm. So uh, let's let's take all of this that you've been talking about that, which you've employed in your research process, but you've also been a CEO, right? And and you're talking about communities and people, and then you've been a CEO and, and you've had to manage people, all who have different stories. How did you bring all of that together? And, and tell us a little bit about your your experiments and your, your trial and error in, in sort of getting it right as a leader, pulling all of that knowledge together. Gosh, you know, I think it's like there's no magic recipe to leadership, you know. It's actually about being able to be flexible enough and humble to actually listen. And but you know, there's also you've got to you've got to bring a cohesiveness. Everybody needs to be there for their own reason, but actually as a team, you all represent something. And what that represents is the thing that you need to talk about, I think, as a leader. That's the story that you bring to the, the sort of collection of individuals. And that's how you get that collective power that a team is, by having a shared story, a shared narrative. What are we all working towards? And I think that whole thing around purpose, I mean, we hear a lot about companies wanting a purpose, um, talking about their purpose, often about, you know, changing the world in some amazing way but actually the the real reason is why are we all here what is the purpose that we're all trying to achieve over and above just turning up every day to be paid and I think that's the thing that as a leader you have to be really clear about um, because nobody else is going to have that in their mind that's the bit that you need to think what's going mm -hmm. to be the defining thing what are you going to be known for? Why are we all here? What are we achieving? 
And then you've got a lot of people that are coping with different things in their life. So, you know, there have been people that I've worked with that are experiencing relationship issues that I've mentored. There are people that have got new, new fathers that are actually saying, well, how do I juggle this? How do I manage my aspirations for leadership but also be a good dad? And so I think you've got to recognise the humanity and all your, 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 the people that are part of your team and actually work with them to understand how they can be better versions of themselves and what role the business can play in actually facilitating some of that. And I, I think too long we've seen this whole d- difference of, you know, what, who are you in your life and who are you when you're at work and how do you get that work-life balance? But actually, we're out, work is part of life. Um, mm. And so it's how that all comes together in this sort of nebulous mix that I think is really the kind of thing that a leader is really about. Yeah, thank you. I mean, there, 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 again, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. But what I'm interested in, has there been any particular dilemma uh, that you've faced or any crisis within any of the positions that you've had where you've had to call upon all of these skills that we've been talking about just to give us a, a, um, a bit of a feel of what it looks like in a real-life situation? Okay. So, look, I think when I think about my career, my thing is I've always been in roles for a long time. You know, I haven't sort of spent a year here, a year there. Um, you know, I've been 10 years one place, 15 years the next. So the thing for me has all actually always been about knowing when you don't have, um, really don't have the heart in your job anymore. What do you do then? And I think that that's, for me, being the, the toughest thing, knowing when it's time to go, knowing when you've actually kind of reached the end. You, you can't do another transformation in the business. And I think that for me was the real dilemma, um, kind of getting to the point where I just went, you know what, it's not me. I'm, I've been able to transition the business a number of times, but actually I'm now going, I'm just, I'm just not up for it. I'm just not interested anymore. Mm. And you've got a whole lot of people that still rely on you, but you know that you're not going to be their next leader. And I think that's a very, for me, that was a very tough call to have to sort of go, right, how do we talk about succession planning? How do we mm. actually, yeah, how do I exit in a way that doesn't, you know, when you've sort of created this team based on um, those kinds of leadership principles, you're actually then saying, well, I'm done. You know, I'm, I don't want to be your leader anymore. So that's a really tough thing, I think. Um, I found tough. Um, and so, you know, if I sort of think back, it's probably been maybe I should have gone sooner, you know, um, but, but making that, those calls that I'm, you're not the right person anymore, I think it's a really big decision for, for a CEO. Look, I, think, uh, I think it's the right decision to make too. And I, I think a lot of people would relate to that about when to make the call. Um, and that many people have potentially, uh, including myself, have faced the same dilemma as you of maybe I should have called it earlier um, in the day. And, and what did you draw upon for that transition to get you into the space of creating a new opportunity um, and moving ahead and out of one role into the other? What did you draw upon? 
So, look, interestingly, you know, when we were thinking about, um, you know, earlier when we were talking about people that had had an impact on my life, people that I'd looked up to or had somehow changed um, the way I thought about things, I actually had a mentor. Um, and so my mentor was um, is Wendy McCarthy. And so she's one of those sort of amazing, fearless women who's done so many things in her life. Um, and so I had her as a mentor around the time that I was sort of starting to look at, well, what's next? You know, here am I, I'm a 58-year-old woman going, okay, I think I'm kind of done there. And she was really clear about, you know, what I needed to start thinking about, what the time frames for some of these things were, um, and has just been invaluable having that external perspective. Because I think when you're in the midst of it, it's really hard to sort of go, okay, what do I do next? And when do I jump? When am I prepared enough to actually go now's the time um mm. so I think that I found really useful just that external um voice but it's sort of interesting because now um I actually think to myself well what would Wendy or my mum do you know so it's it's something that then comes with you even though that particular moment of time you've made that decision I've segued into other things but you I it actually still plays in my mind right you know, how would she behave? What would she do in this circumstance? What advice would she give me? So I think there's something that's about mentoring that goes over and beyond whatever that time period you have when you're in a more formal, you know, monthly catch-up type relationship. And I think that's a really pivotal thing to think about. Who do you need to actually have with you as that voice in your mind that in some ways overcomes your imposter syndrome voice? And actually goes, no, Nick, you've got this. Go, go for it. You know, kick those goals. So I just I just think that's a really that was for me was really important. Look, I think that's great advice and 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 thank you. And I and I think a lot of our listeners will really appreciate that and connect to what you're saying. And and I hear a lot from you what your story has been so far, whether it was from the mission or from your parents or from the the various aspects in your career is listening to the perspectives of others, um, and what you've talked about there is having a mentor that that gives you perspective. Um, how have you coached others to develop this ability um, for them to um, uh, draw on perspectives of others? So I think it's really interesting. There's people that I've worked with that um, you know reach out to me still to sort of you know, if something happens or there's a, a moment in their career or they just need somebody to have a chat to. And so I think there's the thing about always being mindful that you can help other people and that other people do benefit from having that longer-term perspective that you can bring. Um, I think there's a, a lot of focus on, um, you know, and I saw this thing the other day where it was basically saying when you die, nobody's going to read out your resume at your, fu at your funeral. Um, <laughs> and they actually had this really, it just made me laugh so much and I've, I've written it down and I'll just read it to you. But it said, it's as though we're at the eulogy. His crowning achievement was sales director. His Porsche 911 was a testimony to his greatness as a human being. And we especially <laughs> remembered him as a person who had an MBA. So I think the other thing to be remembering is that you are not your resume. And when you die, that's not actually going to be the thing that people remember you for. And even the eulogies of great people 
are actually all about who they were as a human being. So I guess when we're thinking about people you've had in your team, people that are still part of your, you know, sort of broader connections, it's those things that are going to be meaningful, both for you and for them. And I think that's just a really kind of nice thing to remember that actually it's how we cared for others, how brave we were at times when it was really tough, um, how funny we were, did we make people laugh, you know, and and how do we live on in the sort of memories and feelings of others um, and that that's really who we are. And I think you can do that while you're running a career. You've got to be thinking about not your legacy so much but just be mindful that we're all on this journey and at the end of the day, it's not just about business success. Um, it's how that thing about life, work-life balance, you know, it's how you're living your life as you're going to work and how those connections and relationships with people are actually creating, I guess, new leaders. And I think that's sort of something that I've always tried to to keep in mind. Um, but I thought that that lovely, you know, quote I read about, you know, and what someone might say at a eulogy, not, you know, all of the things you did in business. No one's going to say that about you when you die. Yeah, and and look, I think that what what you're describing um, about your journey and your career is having various touch points and and people that can help you um, give perspective. So that's great, Nicola. And here on the Waves of Change, we're, we're really passionate about um, values. And, I, and I'm just interested in, you know, from your experience and the different organisations that you've worked for or from ones that you've interacted with, how can you move values from posters on the walls um, to conversations in the halls? Okay, so look... Oh, I might actually talk to um, uh, some experience I had as CEO. Um, so, look, you know, I've already spoken about how important that um, experience was as a teenager connecting with homeless men in Sydney's Darlinghurst. But where our offices were in South Yarra, there was actually a homeless woman that would sit up on the corner of Turak Road and Chapel Street and she had a, a dog and she'd crochet and we'd walk past to go and get coffee or lunch and, um, you know, she'd be asking for money. And and it, it got to the point where I just went, I just can't do this anymore. I can't walk past this person. So I started to sort of have chats to her and then one day I said to her, look, what do you think? My office is just down there. You could come in, you know, if it was coming up to winter, if you needed somewhere to shelter, you know, you could sit at our offices and, um, you know, by all means, I'd be open for that. And she sort of looked at me a bit odd and then I thought, well, you know, I, I, you, you're crocheting and I'd really love you to crochet me something. So anyway, Tracy and her dog Lou ended up coming into our offices. And at the time we were working on a lot of social um, issues and they ranged from violence against women and children to people experiencing um, mental health issues. And at one of the original business names had been Open Mind. And so we actually sat there and I just thought, I can't do this anymore. I can't be doing research about people experiencing some of these issues and walk past somebody who's actually in the midst of this lived experience. And I had to kind of go, what am I going to say to the team as we walk down the street and um, and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, she's a little bit smelly. Um, how am I going to cope with all of this? What are they going to think? 
And, you know, I'm sure everybody went, what? She's just brought the lady that we see every day down the corner into the office. And um, But I was so careful how I managed it and in terms of really wanting to make sure that Tracy felt welcome, um, that she had a job to do, which was actually to crochet things for me. And, in fact, over time, and we're talking, you know, a couple of weeks, but over time, the team started to sort of go, oh, how's Tracy? And, oh, I saw Tracy. She's going to come in later. And um, and it, it really was about if we were going to be about open minds, if we were going to be about people that were experiencing disadvantage, we also needed to have an open heart. And it sort of was the moment where rather than just having all these values saying we're collaborative, we're creative, we're courageous, we're um, inventive, you know, it was actually we 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 lived the talk, um, and you know there were people on the floor that were a bit shocked by this. Um, they were working on the CEO uh, sleep out, and they were happy to be tweeting and um, putting things on Facebook. But heaven forbid that you should bump into a homeless person. Um, and I had to manage some of those things. It was quite complicated. I was asked what on earth was happening. They'd heard that you know a homeless lady was coming into the office and. Um, and, you know, but at the end of the day, this was really about saying, well, we make change. We stand up for people. We talk to people in all walks of life and we won't actually just walk past people who are in need. The interesting thing was that she was also on television. She'd been on um, only the, earlier that, that week. She'd been on the project because they'd done a thing on Chapel Street about dropping money and who gave it back. And so all these people had seen this guy drop money on the street, $50, and they'd pocketed it. And then he'd turn around and say, oh, I've just lost $50. You know, is that um, – have you got seen my $50? And then most of them would then hand it back. Tracy handed it back immediately. She went up and she said, here we go, you've just dropped this money. And the guy was so taken aback because of obviously her need that he gave her the money anyway. And so I knew that she had this heart of absolute gold, that she was totally, um, you know, honest and open and friendly. And it was just her life circumstance that meant that she had ended up like that. When I left Hall & Partners, I actually had people that wrote on the card about how much it had taught them about what people were capable of, as in individuals, in making change, but also about other people and how you could connect with people that you really didn't think you could. And we, we had birthday parties for her. Um, you know, she came to the Christmas things. So really it I guess that's one of those moments where you say, well, we're just going to talk about these things. Are we just going to leave this woman sitting on the street in the cold or we're actually just going to say you can come and sit at our, our desk or our table and, um, and actually here's a cup of tea. Now, I was very careful. I made sure that I paid for any cups of tea that she had. Um, so, you know, there's things around not giving company money. But um, it was just such a great thing in terms of connecting the work we were doing and reinforcing the kind of people that that meant that we were. So I think that's really what you've got to do. Sometimes it's a bit uncomfortable. You're saying we've got all these values. This is what we stand for. And at some moment you will actually be asked to demonstrate this. And it might be in the weirdest way. It might be slightly unrelated to what you're doing in your day-to-day -day work. 
but I felt for me that that was one of those moments. It was like one of those sliding door moments. Either I stand up and do something about this or I actually just slip away and sort of go, oh, well, that's someone else's problem. Thank you. That's a fantastic story. And as you said, that's walking the talk. And I think that's a, a nice place to end the show So because it comes back to what you learned from your parents where they believed in the capacity of others. And, and your story of this woman, Tracy, how you saw that she had a heart of gold. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just being friendly and kind, being kind to people. Thank you. It's It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. And, and I think that there's plenty for people to take away from today's conversation uh, to reflect on and unpack themselves. And that's what we really encourage uh, our listeners because there's a lot um, uh, that that is contained within each of our podcasts. So thanks so much for being on the show. And, and if anybody wants to reach out to you and know more about you, what's the best way in which they can do that? Um, I guess connect through LinkedIn or, um, you know, my email, nicolahep at outlook.com. Great. And look, there's, there's, there's so much more about you. I think we're going to have um, uh, you on again because there's a, there's a great project that I think that you're, that you're leading on, that you're the director of the board at the moment for a not-for-profit. Um, and what's the name of that project? It's The Front Project. The Front Project. And no. look, I think that's an amazing project and I would love to have you on just to talk about that some stage in the future. Oh, absolutely. And I'm doing some great work with a company called Beautiful Minds X and they're just, it's fabulous. So I'd love to come back and talk about both of those things. Great. And so thanks very much and thanks for joining us on the Waves of Change. Oh, thanks, Stephen. Bye.